Some basic principles that everyone can utilize from their day to day. Obviously, number one, which was mentioned before, to declutter. And I believe this is in the book where whatever you don't need, use or love, you release it, let it go, because there can be a lot of emotional attachment to that, psychological attachment to that. And I'd say more in the psychological department, they are doing studies to prove the benefits of releasing those objects. And so we start with that. Welcome to Spark Joy, the podcast dedicated to celebrating the Kamari method and the transformative power of surrounding yourself with joy and letting go of all the rest. With your hosts and certified Kamari consultants, Kristen Ivey and Karen Sochi. And now, here's the show. Today's guest is Laura Serrano. She is a graduate from SUNY New Paltz with a double bachelor's degree in art education and fine arts. During those years, she simultaneously studied with some of the finest masters of feng shui and shamanism. Laura received her feng shui certification through the proven feng shui school in New York under the guidance of her mother and mentor, certified feng shui master Carol Provençal in 2000. Welcome to Spark Joy, Laura. Thank you. Welcome, Laura. I'm really excited to talk to someone who can really help us explore the intersection between Kanmari and feng shui. I have a lot of clients who ask me questions about both. And also folks who are exploring Kanmari often kind of interchange the two as well. And I know they're both Eastern philosophies and they're both involving the home. There's also a big difference between the two methods. So before we jump into your backstory and your journey, let's start by just exploring the basics of feng shui. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the basics of feng shui, interestingly enough, as you ladies already know, will start with the foundation of just decluttering. And I know it's a pretty big buzzword, but in order for any consultant, whatever title you want to use, whether it's master, consultant, practitioner, before we can even get into the house and begin to assess the emotional, spiritual, energetic, um, psychological components, we have to have a clear canvas to work with. So usually if we have a situation where, you know, unfortunately there's either hoarding or there's a high level of clutter, we'll ask organizers to step in. So you'll be able to tag team, get that in ship shape, and then feng shui can now be even more potent in a good way in how to assess that person's goals, their life, their dreams, their challenges, and create a game plan going from there. I love how complementary the two methods are. And one is from China, correct? And the other, of course, Konmari being from Japan. Yeah, absolutely. The origins of feng shui go back to China, originally found in the mountain ranges, Naturally, as humans evolved, so did the practices. So that's why we have at least several forms of feng shui over these thousands of years. And with the art of decluttering, at least how I see it, uh, respectfully, another branch of those teachings. No, I think that totally makes sense. And your background and kind of how you came to be a part of feng shui is really super, super interesting. And you're part of a family legacy. Can you tell us a little bit about your family and and how you became interested in feng shui as, as kind of your life's work? Yeah, so I was first introduced to the concepts of feng shui 
when I was pretty young, back in 96, 97. That was the time my mother, Carol, was studying, and she officially graduated in 1997. As she came out of that school, you know, she needed help. <laughs> so I was enlisted into the business, if you will. My first duties as a feng shui consultant in training or apprentice was to conduct what's called space clearings. And it's pretty funny because if I do a workshop on space clearing, a lot of people will automatically assume space clearing means decluttering, which sure. there's truth to that. Yet we're talking about more of a spiritual, energetic decluttering. So again, these two worlds, the physical and the unseen, uh, will have to merge together. So those are, in a short, brief synopsis, those were my origins and how I got introduced to feng shui. And when I started studying at New Paul's, I would do uh, feng shui sessions in dormitories. So that was my training ground. And on various weekends, go back home to Long Island and work on uh, brand new construction projects with my mother, business, residential, um, you name it. So even though I got certified early, I was still learning. It like never ends. When I was reading in more depth your background and your biography, I was really struck with how your mom just didn't let you just go and do things. Why? She really put you through the paces as far as making sure that you, you know, had, had the study and the background and the experience to really move forward. Yeah, but I think there's a, a misconception where because of marketing, people say, oh, you know, get certified in a weekend. And it's sure. like, no, no, this requires years and years of experience just to even begin to understand the Bagua map or the compass method or the five elements or the triagrams. And then you get beyond those levels and you start graduating to uh, emotional intelligence, you know, or other healing modalities like Reiki. And you start to see how each of them can be integrated and again, complement one another. A lot of these terms are things that I'm not terribly familiar with, and I bet our listeners aren't either. So we definitely want to talk a little bit more about some of the fundamental terms and the terminology. But first, before we do that, I'm really interested in hearing about how you and your mom decided to start your company together and what was the evolution of that? The birth of the company started on a pilgrims to uh, Sedona, Arizona. And that was pretty interesting because that was the last family gathering, we'll say, in terms of our stepfather, my mother, uh, my brother, myself, because they were getting a divorce. And we're like, ah, you know, it's not ideal, but life changes. But there was an exchange going on in exchange for something that no longer serves you. The exchange that my mother received was the teachings of feng shui. When we were in Sedona, we took what's called a pink Jeep tour. And so as we were traveling around, the tour guide, she started teaching us about the law of attraction. She taught us how to understand energy, how to understand flow, how to understand intention, which is foundational in any type of energy work. With that, towards the end of the Jeep tour, she was speaking to my mom and she said, when you get back to New York, you're going to hear the word feng shui. And when you hear that word, don't ignore it. You need to investigate it because this is part of your life's calling. My mom was at a point where she was basically releasing an old life and now giving birth to a new life, if you want to be poetic with it. And so when she got back to New York, lo and behold, she did hear about the word feng shui, and then she registered for that class, and the rest is history. 
Wow. Energy and tension and releasing the old to open up for new opportunities. That's amazingly close to what we talk about a lot on this show when it comes to Kunmari. It's fascinating because I did uh, study interior design during the time when feng shui was just kind of making its way over to the U.S. And unfortunately, I only kind of grasped it at the very cursory level. And I do remember something about the five elements. Could we maybe talk a little bit about kind of the basic structure of feng shui and kind of the foundation for those Mm -hmm. who are equally as unfamiliar as I am? Yeah, so... Some basic principles that everyone can utilize from their day-to-day. Obviously, number one, which was mentioned before, to declutter. And I believe this is in the book where whatever you don't need, use or love, you release it, let it go, because there can be a lot of emotional attachment to that, psychological attachment to that. Uh, And I'd say more in the psychological department, they are doing studies to prove the benefits of releasing those objects. And so we start with that. Then the next foundation is assessing the energy flow of the interior of the space, just to keep it simple. You're looking at furniture arrangement. You first ask yourself, what's the function of each room within my house? And then you break it down to asking yourself, okay, now that I know the function, what type of furniture do I need within that space? And then once you figure that out, you go to the next question and say, how can I arrange the space? So we don't go immediately into arranging. We have to first understand what's the purpose? Why are we in that space? What's the function? And then we go into arranging. And when we arrange the space, we want to make sure there's in feng shui terminology, a good flow of energy, meaning in a metaphorical discussion, nothing is being obstructed. Because if you have furniture or objects in general that are obstructing your walking path as soon as you enter your home or as soon as you enter into another room or a hallway, that creates a blockage. And that can be a metaphor for your mindset, your emotions, energy flow in general, because with feng shui, it's not just referencing the physical environment of where you live and work. It can also reference the internal environment of your organs, of, again, your psychological mindset. And it just starts to break down into this micro versus macro world, but they're constantly fluxing back and forth. Well, this whole concept of having access to the flow and this unobstructed view that so much is part of KonMari, where we talk about this idea that all of your things should be visible and that you should be able to see at a glance everything that you have. So that seems to be a really interesting similarity between the two philosophies. When you're doing this kind of work, when you're talking with your clients about how to achieve that, what is the decluttering process in Feng Shui? Uh, With the decluttering process, try to keep it very practical and simple. Take an inventory of everything. Of course, you do it at your own pace and time. Then you can set schedules if you want to get that detailed. But essentially, we're asking to ask yourself, what do you not need, use, or love? And then you just go again through your closets. You can go underneath your bed. You can go even into the kitchen cabinets. So if you want to start with the micro decluttering, you can begin there. And then you can go to the overall household. Everyone's going to be different. I mean, honestly, before we started this podcast, I was decluttering my kitchen. (laughs) So 
to me, that was a way of grounding in and preparing, preparing my workspace, not saying I work out of the kitchen, but I know that the kitchen is attached to the health sector of my whole house. So I want to feel grounded and centered. I recall some elements being involved as well, meaning uh, earth, fire, water, and things like that. Is is that a part of feng shui? Absolutely. Whichever method you choose, whether it's more Eastern or Western, each of the elements play a huge component in a personality trait. They can also play a huge component in the different, if you will, meridians throughout the space. So for example, if we're talking about the front door and how we want to acknowledge or enhance or activate that area, typically you'll hear about including the element of water. And the reason for that is it promotes a gentle movement, but you can also have different types of water. But in general, having maybe a small water fountain or feature, or some people might have fish if you're so willing to be you know, responsible with that. Some people may have images of the water or even an oceanic animal. Then it becomes a really personal discussion because you're understanding the element that associates with that area. Yet you also want to make sure that how you're addressing it is an extension of your personality. Because if you have no emotional connection to it, if you have no clear intention to why you're doing it, it just becomes what we call a placeholder. It's just kind of there versus emphasizing, motivating, inspiring you to achieve whatever goal you're looking to achieve or whatever changes you're looking to manifest into your life. I think that's what I can really appreciate about feng shui is how intentional it is. And I also have recognized how functional it is just from our conversation today, which I think isn't something that I um, immediately understood as, as a step within the philosophy. So I imagine there's probably some other myths or misconceptions about feng shui that you may experience. Yeah, each consultant will approach this topic differently. You can't expect one method of feng shui to fit everybody. That's why there are so many styles, because they're finding as we're evolving as human beings, obviously people learn differently, but the needs of humanity continuously change, which means the style or the method and how we teach feng shui, how we approach it, how we implement it needs to also change, but still keeping the richness and the core goal to help people self-develop, ascend to their authentic self. The other thing is a lot of times people will assume that a consultant's job is just to come into an apartment or a home or whichever the environment is requested. And we're just going to move a plant, pick a color, and voila, you know, <laughs> the energy has transformed. Yet they're forgetting one of the other really key important areas, the interview. So what this interview process allows is a very intimate conversation between the consultant and the client, what people say is super profound because then when you mirror that over the floor plan, usually those stories will line up with how the environment is looking and feeling. So this isn't, you know, fast food, if you will. This requires a lot of integrity on both ends and commitment to move forward and make those changes on both ends too. 
as you were speaking, I was thinking, yeah, this is so true that in KonMari, as a consultant, we don't go in and try to impose our style on our clients. It's really important to understand what's important to them and what's going on in their lives and what their goals are. You know, we always go back to this idea of a vision, you know, how they see their best life going forward. And in Feng Shui, although you're, you're dealing with things that are in the here and now, there's a lot of forward thinking that goes along with that. From my understanding, a lot of Feng Shui is all about what would you like to bring in more? What would you like to open the door for? Yeah, it's uh, like you said, there's no set formula because everything's constantly changing. The ironic thing is a lot of times people like what you just mentioned, I want to bring something new in or maybe a new relationship or a new job. Yet, ironically, they're holding on to those very things that need to be released. They come to you in a very vulnerable state whether they realize it or not, even feng shui will step in to assist with that healing process. It could be a piece to the puzzle to help resolve because feng shui is also another form of problem solving. Laura, I would love for you to help me infuse more feng shui into my home because I definitely feel like I'm at a place where I have completed the decluttering process. I've been living the Kamari lifestyle for over two years now, and my home is just organically shedding what it doesn't need and things in my home spark joy. But I do feel like I want more abundance, health and love in my home this year. And I would love to get started, but I don't really know what to do first in terms of infusing feng shui into my home. So do you have some tips for me and anyone who's looking to open the door, so to speak, to this philosophy? One of the places we always recommend to first start at is the front door. The first thing you can do is if you happen to own the home and you can do physical changes, you just want to make sure that the front door's facade looks fresh. Over the summer, my door wasn't looking very fresh (laughs) and it needed a paint change. So I said, okay, I'm going to paint it for, in this case, blue, which blue represents water. And for my particular door, that worked really well. But in general, you just want to make sure the functioning aspects of the door and the overall look of the front door is inviting and welcoming, just keeping the lingo very simple. Now, if we look at the anatomy of the front door, it's such a practical thing, but it's all very symbolic. You also want to make sure that when the key goes into the lock, that it's not getting stuck. Because when that happens and the overall door itself is getting jammed, meaning it's stuck, it won't fully open with ease. That can relate to miscommunication. And the reason for that is doors and feng shui relate to our mouths. So once you, again, you start seeing how body parts relate to different areas on the Bagua map or the directions, it becomes easier to associate, oh, if I've noticed I've been having a lot of miscommunication, let me make sure not just the front door, but all the doors, all the basic functions within my home are doing what they're supposed to be doing. Another very practical tip you can do is implement a Bon Buddhist tradition, more for the Western lifestyle, called rigging in the money. So this is basically saying that you can take bells of your choosing. It could be one bell, it could be two, it could be three. Think of like jingle bells that you would use for Christmas. Hmm. And you take these bells and from the inside of the front door on the doorknob, traditionally, you just hang them and you leave them there. This cure is speaking to activating the front door and it also offers a sense of protection and it rings in the money. 
I love that ring in the money. That That's a great tip. And I really do need the tip about the keys not being stuck because I have a lot of door situations in my building that I have to work through, not even just my front door, you know, the mailbox key and the gate key and the side alley key. There's just so many. Every now and again, especially after the winter, they definitely need some oils, all those locks. Thanks for reminding me um, to <laughs> to work on, uh, wow, just the front door. Wow. Is there certain rooms in my home that I should focus on if I do want to attract abundance? Abundance is my theme word for this year. And that not only means financial, it primarily means just wellness and good relationships and nutrition and abundance of love and good energy and all of those things. One of the easiest rooms to address would then go directly to the bedroom. So in the bedroom, from a feng shui perspective, the first thing we look at is the positioning of the bed. And this goes back to furniture arrangement and flow of the overall layout of the room. In terms of the bed positioning, again, every room is going to be unique because you're not just looking at that room. You're also looking at what's behind that room, meaning is it another bedroom that's supporting that wall or is it a kitchen or is it a bathroom? So that starts to get into more advanced discussions. But in general, when we step into the bedroom, we want to make sure nothing is obstructing the entry point. So that's the first thing. The second thing is you want to make sure that your bed has what's called a commanding position. To have a commanding position, this is simply saying that your bed is situated in such a way that you have a clear vantage point of the entry into the bedroom. And if you happen to have windows, you can see outside the windows with clarity too. So the metaphor here is saying that you have an opportunity to be more decisive with who you literally allow into the bed to share that space with, or it could be more of an energetic if you're dating and you're selecting, but it's something that is a empowerment position. Number three is when we're assessing the anatomy of the bed itself, ideally it's recommended that you use a wooden platform and a headboard. If you can't do both, at least have a headboard that's made of wood or it could be upholstered. The reason for that is that headboard is an anchor of support when you're heading off to dreamland. Depending on what also is surrounding your bed or rather bedroom, meaning the visuals, When it comes to the imagery in the bedroom, you ideally want to pick imagery, artwork, uh, colors that are soothing. So the go-to representation of partnership in the bedroom, no matter where it's located in your home, is things that are represented in twos or pairs. Traditionally, you might hear about mandarin ducks, maybe two roses. This does become a personal conversation because you have to ask yourself, How do I define relationships? How does that look? How does that feel? You can even say, how does that smell? Maybe you have certain scents or maybe you do aroma treatments, things like that. There's so many levels you can go. If you're talking about certain colors within the bedroom, we tend to go more toward what they call yin colors. So they could be a bit darker. They're more soothing to the eyes, typically beiges, cream colors, things that are soft and that convey a message psychologically and emotionally, we're going to have a good rest. We also talk about storage in the bedroom. So depending on 
if you're an apartment or a house, usually houses offer more storage. But if you're an apartment, it could be a bit tight. So typical areas people like to store items will be under the bed. Now in feng shui, that's usually a no-no, but we're being practical at the same time. The reason it's not recommended is because it's seen that energy flows around, over, through, it goes through everything. So depending on the objects that you have under the bed, they convey certain messages to the subconscious mind. So let's say if you have for example, shoes under the bed in Western feng shui that could relate to people possibly taking advantage of you. Or let's say you have X relationship objects or bills or wills, any type of paperwork that might create stress. And if that's kept under the bed, when you're sleeping, that energy from those objects rise up. So that could potentially disrupt you, especially if you're very sensitive to energy. So the best thing, if possible, is to keep it clear. But if you can't, negotiate. So that's why we use feng shui principles. They're meant to be negotiated if need be. So if you have to keep certain objects under the bed, at least keep them away from your head, meaning keeping the storage closer either to the lower portion of your body from underneath the bed or at least to the feet. That way, the crown chakra is going to be more open and undisrupted while you are sleeping. You can also have, if it's feasible, two side tables. The two side tables represent balance. If you can only have one, that's okay. Be practical and just make sure the overall presentation of the bedroom has a balanced feel and look. Wow, this is so interesting, Laura, because I was ready to present to you one dilemma that I have with my feng shui in the bedroom. And now I see that I actually have three problems. <laughs> so the first one is, of course, the under the bed storage. And I live in New York City. And I will tell you that under the bed is like prime storage space for most of apartment dwellers in the city. As a uh, KonMari practitioner, I only keep the suitcases under there, but it's still, they're still under there. And in fact, I don't know if you've ever seen these, you can get these risers to actually make the bed a little higher so that you have more storage space. Well, I was all over that because I thought, oh yeah, the bed higher, that's great. I have even more storage space. So I do have suitcases under the bed. Mm -hmm. So are suitcases a negative thing to have under the bed or is that uh, okay? Or what do you think? I see suitcases as travel. That's not a bad thing. It then depends on what you store inside the suitcase. Again, if you have objects that could not add value to your life emotionally, mentally, physically, then we question it. But if it's just soft material, linens, extra clothing, that's fine. Got to be practical. Right. Well, the good thing is they're empty and they're ready to be packed for the next trip. So <laughs> that's good. The other problem that I have is that I have a big iron bed that has traveled with me all over this country that I've had since I was really young. I love that bed, but it's iron. It is recommended not to have metal directly under the bed. And the reason for that is if you do have electronics in the bedroom, it's a conductor element, meaning it will pull from those electromagnetic frequencies and hold on to it. So that's why it's recommended not to have a lot of metal or electronics within that space. What you could do, I don't know where that iron bag is in relation to under your bed. Is it closer to your head? Is it closer to your feet? For something like that, and that's the best place you can store it, at least put it closer to uh, your feet. And if you're a person who likes to utilize crystals, I believe black tourmaline 
you can have those crystals either in that bag when you're not packing it to go XYZ, just to help offset that type of energy in case it is receiving uh, EMFs. Okay, interesting. Now, so my third problem is that um, both my husband and I like really, really dark bedrooms, and we also really like red. And so we chose to paint our bedroom the darkest red you've ever seen. (laughs) So the color, should it be a restful color to you, or is it a restful color as the world sees it? That could be a very personal choice, because also you can figure out what elements you are. Uh, Some people will do it by date of birth. Some people will do it by surveys. Some will be more intuitive. But keeping it simple, you can just ask yourselves, how are we sleeping at night? Meaning, are we rested? Are we woken up, you know, refreshed? So I'm just asking you now, how do you guys sleep at night? Pretty well. I mean, sometimes we have a hard time getting to sleep, but we find the bedroom to be really restful and peaceful and feels like a really good space. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's okay for us. I also have a bedroom dilemma, mainly because my bedroom has a very specific shape. The bed can only be oriented one way. It has a commanding position for sure, but the head of my bed is definitely on the wall with the window. I have a metal bed as well, and it's very open. It's a canopy style bed, so it doesn't technically have a headboard. It has like the frame of a headboard. So you can still see the window and it's unobstructed. But what I did do is put a wooden art fixture inside the window. So maybe that counts as my wooden elements a little bit. And it has this powerful message that says, wake up and be awesome. That works. But I'm wondering ways I can negotiate, as you said, where I can take best advantage of the space, even though the orientation requires me to put my bed against that window wall. Yeah. So just looking at the overall presentation of the space, asking yourself through the eyes of an artist, okay. does the composition of the overall room present a balance and a sense of harmony? And if you say yes, then the foundation is set, which means now you can begin to implement different elements based on where the bedroom might be located according to the Bagua map or the direction. And then you can also complement that with your own personal element. But if we can't do that right away, then the next thing you can do is what you just did, what you just expressed is that you have a wooden plaque that says, wake up and be awesome, which is amazing because even when you're sleeping, you're awoken but you're just in a different, you know, reality, if you will. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, so you're awesome across the board, basically, is what you're saying. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying. I love that. I love it. Okay. So, So that's definitely helpful. Absolutely. If you wanted to add to this, so the type of cures or remedies from a feng shui perspective that we're talking about, this is not your everyday tangible thing. Like a headboard is very tangible and very practical. But if you can't do that, now we're segueing into the conversation of transcendental cures, meaning we have to use our imagination to create solutions. And those solutions may not seem logical, but if the person who is creating them likes, like what you just mentioned, Kristen, with the board and then the word art on it, which is for me, hearing that sounds very powerful. 
that's a transcendental cure that you created through your own personal problem solving. And that's beautiful. So if you wanted to add to this, the next thing you could do if you wanted is include a little bit of window treatment. So the window treatment could either be sheer curtains or it could be a window topper, or maybe you're like, ah, I'm not really into that. I like the light. So maybe instead you do um, you know, a roller shade or whatever, where you can still allow the light But the symbolism of the window treatment is to also offer an energetic barrier from that perspective. If that doesn't work and you want to go even more minimalist, then you can use crystals if you wanted. So typically we'll recommend a 20 millimeter round faceted crystal hung on a red string. Now, the reason for that is because when you hang the crystal either from the curtain rod or maybe from the window lock, the intention of its use and its purpose is to create an energetic barrier using the crystal's energy. So because it's more of a clear quartz crystal, those crystals are neutral, meaning whatever you need it to do, it will do. So that's why they're great go-tos. For me, I have a skylight over my head, so that's really open. So having that known, What I chose to do is tap into my own heritage and use a dream catcher. And I love your suggestion about really paying attention to bringing in pairs into the space because in my background, I typically, from interior design, we're taught to design in threes that the eye is more comfortable looking at odd numbers of arrangements and vignettes and things. So I don't have a lot of pairs in the room. And I just realized I only have one little floating shelf on one side of my bed. And I should have another one to invite partnership, as you were saying. So I'm going to look around, make some changes. These are great tips, Laura. Yeah. And I don't know your dating situation and everything. I do know. No, I'm single. (laughs) So so, so if you're comfortable, we'll just, you know, we're not going to go into your personal, you know, things, but just to share, just kind of jump off that. Typically, yes, it's recommended to have twos and pairs to call in that healthy relationship. But as you ladies know, before you do that, you have to work on yourself. So when I was single, what I decided to do, obviously, besides working on myself, got to feng shui the home. But also, I took a gift that was given to me by my grandmother. And this particular gift was of a mermaid. And it is a single mermaid. Now, the reason I bring this up is because a lot of times people will say, oh, having a single female is a negative, but not necessarily. If that representation of the single female also offers a sense of empowerment, which for me, the mermaid did. And it also reminds me, even if I'm in a relationship, I'm still going to be independent. So for me, that's what that represented. But then I also accompanied that concept with twos and pairs, whether it's through artwork or statues you know, however you want to translate it. It's very artistic in that sense. Wow, those are some really great tips, Laura. Thank you so much. This has given us so much to think about. We ask all of our guests at this very moment, what sparks the most joy in your life? I would say a lot of traveling and also spending time with family. My family is pretty small. So when I do get the opportunity to share that time with them, It is really nice. So I appreciate it. A lot of gratitude. Do you have any parting words of wisdom for our listeners? I think the best thing is just to live in the present moment and to live life to its fullest and just enjoy it. That's it.
Beautiful. Great way to end it. Thanks so much, Laura, for helping us demystify feng shui and really figure out how it can complement the Kamari lifestyle. All right. Thank you, ladies. Thank you, Laura. You can find Laura at fengshuimanhattan.com. She's also on Instagram and Facebook, and we'll post those links in our show notes. So now we want to hear from you. Tell us your burning, tidying questions or share stories about how Kamari has impacted your life. You can find us at sparkjoypodcast.com and click Ask Spark Joy to leave a question or comment for a chance to be featured on next week's show. While you're there, sign up to join our Spark Joy podcast community and get notified when each episode airs. You can also join the Spark Joy podcast community on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at the handle at Spark Joy Podcast. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope your day sparks joy. Thank you for listening to Spark Joy with your hosts, Kristen Ivey of For the Love of Tidy in Chicago and Karen Sochi of The Serene Home in New York City. Spark Joy, the podcast, is not endorsed by or affiliated with Kamari Media Inc. The opinions expressed on this episode represent the views of the co-hosts and guests alone and do not represent the corporate position of Kamari Media Inc. or the Kamari Consultant Community.